This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who's recording from a secret remote location today, so if the audio's a little different, it's all my fault. And I'm Vervada, the girl who is sorry that she had to cancel her live stream on Friday because the child was sick. She's still sick, but she's okay. But yay, back now. Still making it work. We make it work. It's what we do. And if you're new here, welcome to the beautiful chaos. But you should know that our podcast centers on the character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of fucking or from the deep emotional connections built between two characters using specific in-game dialogue. So if you want to stay spoiler-free, then this isn't the podcast for you. So here's your fucking spoiler alert. And what a legendary spoiler alert that is. Thank you. And just like with all of our previous episodes, we'll assume you have some background knowledge of the game and character in question, but we'll be providing context for those of you who may be unfamiliar. Today's episode is still in the Commonwealth, and we'll be talking about two romance options again because, like we said in the last episode, these just don't have a ton of romance-specific content. However, there is plenty to discuss. We'll be looking at Preston Garvey of the Minutemen and the robot-turned-synth Curie from Fallout 4. We're going to start with Preston. When I turned 17, I joined up with Ezra Hollis's company. He was one of the good ones really believed in the old-time Minuteman way. We had a few good years there. I felt like I was part of something bigger than me, like I was really helping make the Commonwealth a better place. Preston Garvey is the last official member of the Commonwealth Minutemen, which is a volunteer defense militia, just like their New England namesake from the Revolutionary War. They are known to be ready for battle at a minute's notice, hence the name. When Preston was a child, he looked up to the Minutemen because he believed that they were the only good guys around. They were basically the closest thing to post-bomb Avengers that a child could idolize. And of course, as soon as he was able, Preston enlisted with the Minutemen. Similarly to dance, Preston made his faction's ideals into core values of his personhood. In the case of the Minutemen, 
that meant fellowship and justice. He believed he was really making a difference. The rose-colored glasses were torn from his face when the Minutemen's general, Joe Becker, was killed in combat. Without their valiant leader holding them together, the disparate groups within the faction began fighting, and they destroyed themselves. By 2287, Preston and his company of Minutemen were one of the last active groups still protecting settlements and answering calls for aid from across the Commonwealth. Then the Quincy Massacre happened. Quincy was a trading hub in the Commonwealth, and one of its residents, Sturgis, called for the Minutemen's help when he heard one of Mama Murphy's visions. Mama Murphy was, to some, an old and mentally unstable chem addict, but to others, she was a psychic who foretold the future. One of her visions foresaw the town of Quincy being surrounded and massacred, which led Sturgis to his request for aid. Preston's unit arrived at Quincy to discover that the town was indeed in peril. The gunners had it surrounded. The Minutemen fought their way through the town and the gunners retreated. Preston, being the generic good guy he is, helped the Quincy settlers build up some proper defenses to help repel any future attacks. Oh, but wait, the gunners come back. And they're being led by an ex-Minuteman named Clint. Clint demands that the town surrender, but Colonel Hollis, Preston's unit commander, says, Not on my watch. And then his watch is officially ended in the ensuing battle, affectionately called the Quincy Massacre. Nearly all the settlers and Minutemen were murdered, and only Preston and 19 others managed to escape. Leaderless and defeated, they made their way across the wastes. Have we said how depressing this game can be? Welcome to the aftermath of the apocalypse. The gunners pursued the remaining 20 settlers until Jamaica Plain, where Preston and the survivors managed to lose their pursuers. They had dwindled down to 10, and they moved into Lexington. They discovered that it was overrun with feral ghouls. Now, down to 8, they managed to make it to Concord, but there were raiders there. When you first meet Preston in the Museum of Freedom in Concord, He's preparing himself and the four other survivors for the last stand against the raiders. He doesn't know why the raiders are after them, but you'll find out later it's because they want to kidnap Mama Murphy for her chem-induced ability to see the future. Definitely a handy skill. The Wastes are all about survival of the fittest by any means necessary. It's not an easy place to navigate and Preston believes he won't be leaving this conga line of trauma alive. Then your happy ass wanders through the town. What a crazy random happenstance. You tell him that you'll help him take out the raider scum, and you get a rusty suit of power armor for your trouble. You load it up with a fresh power cell you found in the basement, jump down from the rooftop. It's hammer time. Oh, and just then, you hear a roar, and a big death clock comes tearing out of the ground at the end of the street. So you kill that too power armor baby badass with all the enemies defeated you get to walk preston and the group of remaining survivors to your old neighborhood sanctuary congratulations you've gotten fallout 4's most annoying companion or at least that's what the internet will tell you see preston is a faction companion like dance but unlike dance preston gives you every minute men quest these quests are what's known as Radiant Quests. 
meaning that it's basically plug and play. The game takes the formula of the quest. Location plus enemy type plus reward equals new quest and makes Preston basically parrot this line at you every time you pass him in a settlement. Another settlement has sent word that they need our help. I'll mark it on your map. We'll find out what they need. We could use more settlements supporting our cause. <laughs> uh, triggered. <laughs> Just kidding. Radiant quests differ from story quests and that there's not a story. There you go. That's the definition. It's not Preston's fault that he's become Fallout's meme, but he has. Even Bethesda makes fun of him. In the trailer for the Wasteland Workshop DLC, you can see Preston trapped in a cage with a deathclaw. And this is my favorite. The showcase for Fallout 76 at E3 in 2018 shows the player character killing an NPC called P. Garvey. That's like your parent just pointing and laughing at you a la Nelson Muntz from The Simpsons. What did Preston ever do to you, Bethesda? Ha ha. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but basically to romance Preston, you just have to be nice and good to people. So do the opposite of what Kate would like. Preston might parade around as a knight in shining armor, but he's actually got some demons. Everyone does especially in the wasteland. His demons really, really like it if you take him with you when you go to kill Clint, the ex-Minutemen turned gunner who massacred Quincy. Preston has no compassion towards raiders, gunners, super mutants, and to a lesser degree, the Brotherhood of Steel, ghouls, and synths. His duty to serve and protect only applies to certain members of the Commonwealth. I couldn't believe it at first. These guys were supposed to be Minutemen. They were supposed to put their duty to the people ahead of everything else. You probably think I was pretty naive, huh? I guess I was. Still am, too. Even after everything, I still believe that the Minutemen can be what I always thought they were. The good guys. Preston, being the last actively serving Minutemen, will name the sole survivor the general of the Minutemen because, as he says... There's no one here to argue. True. You're also the first person he's met that embodies the ideals of the Minutemen, being selfless and compassionate, and is also capable of leadership, something that Preston himself is not, and he is well aware of. Depending on your commitment to aiding settlements in need of help, you can help Preston realize a version of his dream for the Minutemen to be the good guys. You can also completely betray the trust that Preston, another settlement needs your help, Garvey, places in you and become a raider. But we're not going to do that. We're romancing him, remember? Unlike the vast majority of the romance options in games, Preston doesn't have a single loyalty quest that you must complete in order to romance him. He can literally gift you with an unlimited amount of radiant help a settlement quests, all of which, once completed will raise his affinity for you. There are certain actions that Preston loves rather than likes. Killing Clint is one of them. Saving a girl named Amelia from torture and being wrongly accused as a synth is another. But none of them are essential to complete the romance. Sorry, Preston. You're just not that important, I guess. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I think it's worth it to mention... That this seems to be the trend with games and men of color as romance options. Jacob from Mass Effect 2 
River and Carrie from Cyberpunk 2077. And Preston here are just examples of that, but there really isn't a game I can think of where a man of color has a romance story that's narratively rewarding and technically sound. It's also worth mentioning that all romance options in Fallout 4 are player sexual, meaning you can romance them as either the male soul survivor, known as Nate, or the female soul survivor, known as Nora. Those are their default names in character creation. Okay, lots to unpack there. And another point to add on the respect level shown to characters of color. I'll stick with Fallout, but I've seen this in other games as well. What do Dance, Hancock, McCready, Valentine, and Gage all have in common? They are all referred to by their last names. Nobody walks around asking for John, or can you pick out which one of those guys is named Robert? But Preston... He is never referred to as Garvey. What is the one thing that he has different from the rest of the Fallout 4 boys? His skin is darker than the rest. There is a non-romanceable companion named X688, who is also black, but they didn't even give the man a true name, only a synth designation number. And before any arguments come up about how some characters are not white-white, but look mixed, How about we don't play devil's advocate for racism? Oh, okay. And yes, I believe that no one on the writing team sat down and said, let's fuck over the black dudes and not give them their own companion missions. Or write in that people in the wastelands refer to the one female companion given a last name only by her first name and male companions by their last names and put Preston in the first name only category. I could go off on a whole rant about how there are 13 companions and only two of them start as human women. Dogmeat, you are best, goodest boy and are exempt from all of this. I think the other point you brought up was player sexual. I'm okay with this in this game. The world ended. It's rebuilding. I could see a lot of people being okay with finding love and comfort in the arms of the one who rescued them, regardless of what body type they have. And there are non-romanceable companions, and romances who are not companions. So in a post-nuclear war wasteland, player sexual works for me. Yeah, as for player sexual, I think it makes sense for the same reason why, like, it doesn't make sense why Garrus can only be romanced by female Shepherd. Because it's like, a couple of the romance options aren't human, even if they look it. So it's like, why should they care, you know? But, I mean, if you want to hear our thoughts on defined sexuality versus player sexual, then we got a patron chat for that. I think it was number seven. As for the other topic, the only one I can see legitimately being called his last name is, well, Dance. I don't think we even know his first name, but because he's in basically like the Wastelands version of the military, that makes sense to me. But everyone else, I don't really know why they would need to be called by their last name. Or it would make sense if some people called them their last name and, like, maybe a closer friend would call them their first name. Like, you, I think you kind of see that with Nick Valentine. Because I can't remember his um, assistant's name at the detective agency, but she always calls him Nick. But that makes sense because she's really close to him. But, I mean, I don't know. It's just weird. It doesn't seem to be any noticeable pattern why they would do that with the names. And then the... um. The only 
thing I can think of about the X688 is that guy is happy to be a synth, but it's just weird that he didn't take a name or did they didn't give him a name, you know? All the other ones have names. Even Curie, who was literally <laughs> a floating octopus robot, got a name, you know? So because I haven't gotten to that point in the game, does X8 have any companion quests? Because whilst doing my research, I couldn't find a loyalty mission or anything like that for him. I don't think so, but let me see. I'm going to Google it. Oh, yeah. No, he's an optional companion. I don't think he has any quests because I'm on the Fallout wiki and it, there's no quest listed at all. Yeah, so I couldn't find any information on, on him either. So it just, it really, it sucks that they both got screwed over. Yeah, I, I just want to make it clear. Like, I don't think anyone's intentionally, like, sitting out and being like, let's, like you said, like, let's just screw over the black men in the game. But it just constantly happens, mm -hmm. you know? Like, if someone can think of a game where there's, like, a good romance quest or even companion quest and it's not totally buggy, like, with River, put it in our Discord. But I, I can't think of one. So that should change, to say the least. My absentee father is running a drug-induced harem. That was oh, my God, I know. That was the worst. It was. And I think that this is why we need sensitivity readers and people who can spot these things early on in game development. A thousand percent agree. All right. Let's get back to it and listen to what the love between the sole survivor and Preston looks like. And then I will imagine up what their love looks like. I've been thinking back lately on how things were for me when we first met. It was the lowest point of my life. I mean, all my closest friends were dead. Everything I believed in had turned out to be a lie. I'd failed everyone who ever relied on me. I'd led them to Concord, and we had no hope of getting out alive. The thing is, that was actually okay with me. I was ready to die. It was what I felt I deserved. It was what I wanted. You did your best, Preston. You can't blame yourself for what happened. I knew it wasn't all on me, but I made my share of bad decisions along the way. I've got to live with that. My point in all of this is that, well, you saved my life. And not just by saving us from those raiders in Concord. I mean that you made me want to keep living again. I guess that sounds pretty sappy. But it's true. If we hadn't met, or if you'd killed those raiders and then just taken off, I don't know if I'd still be around. So I just wanted you to know that. How much our friendship has meant to me. Have you ever thought about us becoming more than just friends? Have I ever? You mean you've also? Hold on. You kind of caught me off guard there. Let me start over. If you're asking if I've ever thought about you romantically, the short answer is yes. But I didn't ever imagine that you could feel the same way about me. I mean, I know she's gone, but you still seem to be in love with your wife. I didn't think you were ready to move on. I'm willing to give it a try. If you are. You are? Really? That's... That's fantastic! Wow, I, uh... Well... I don't really know what to say. We don't need to rush things. 
I'm just happy knowing that what I felt, that it was real, that it wasn't just in my imagination. You're going to have to give me a minute to just enjoy this feeling. And that was it. The majority of their romance is a two-minute clip. I played a majority of it with a few seconds of content cut for his thoughts on unaliving. But as with Kate before, I think two consenting adults could probably have a good time. I don't think that Preston is going to be whipping out handcuffs or asking to be spanked. But vanilla is good for some people sometimes. I am just not that people. So I'll go with nice. Sex with Mr. Garvey would be nice. Hopefully it lasts for longer than a minute, though. Because as we know, those Minutemen are always ready to go. (laughs) I was thinking when he was like, I'm going to need a minute. I'm like, I'll give you a minute, man. (laughs) Um, Before I get into what I wrote for this, I wanted to just say, like, listening to it just now again, um, I really like the way he, well, both of them talk to each other, though. Like, it's so respectful. They're really open about what they're feeling and it's like clear boundaries and it's it's cute i like it yeah because um i'm sorry i was gonna say i totally agree the part about like hey i didn't want to step across the line where you might still be in i'm i'm developing feelings for you but i don't know where your stance is on your ex on your wife Mm -hmm. in the soul survivor's reality our wife our husband just died a few weeks ago Mm -hmm. and we saw we lived through that trauma and yeah your brain catches up hopefully with going okay a lot of time has passed and uh this is the new reality but it's really emotionally mature yeah the one thing i do like about this i wish there was more obviously but it's like it's very much founded on respect for one another, and that's super awesome. Love that. But overall, like these romances, if you can even call them that, are narcissistic on the player character. Like pretty much everyone is, oh wow, soul survivor. I literally wouldn't be alive without you. You've given me a whole ass purpose in life. I live for you now. Like that shit's not cute, healthy, or sustainable in a real life relationship. But it's fairly common in games because you need the player to have that main character energy. For today's, however, is this dance or is this Preston? Like, I literally can't really tell them apart on paper. I mean, if generic good guy is your thing, go for him. He's not for me. I want a little more bad boy, a little more angst. And a lot more content, like I just said. Like, Preston has potential. They all do. But I guess Bethesda just forgot about him. He does say cute things when you wake up after you've gotten this dialogue and you have him as your companion. When you wake up from sleeping, he'll be like, hey there, sleepyhead. And that was nice. Yeah, that pretty much is a good way to sum up the romance, too. It's nice. And that wraps up Preston. Let's take a quick mid-break to hear from our sponsors of the show, talk about some fun facts, and thank our patrons. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Fun facts. One of the most popular mods for Fallout 4 is simply one that prevents Preston from giving you any more Radiant quests. That makes him almost have no dialogue after you finish some of the Minutemen narrative quests. Poor Preston. Oh, and I have a really close friend named Preston and it keeps throwing me off while researching. And after reading about Garvey... And listening to his dialogue, my Preston and this Preston do have a lot in common, but also some key factors very much not in common. <laughs> Shout out to my ex-work husband. This this one made me laugh. Another fun fact is that there's a Preston Garvey impersonator wandering the wasteland. I can't believe anyone would want to impersonate him. <laughs> Unfortunately, the game never lets Preston say anything about it if you have him with you when you find the impersonator, because they just didn't give Preston any content, I guess. It's just a weird thing they put in the game for seemingly no reason. What the hell? That's weird. The next romance we'll be talking about, Curie. She was named after Marie Curie, the scientist and chemist who is known for pioneering research in radioactivity. It's kind of an Easter egg, because in the game, her name is an acronym that stands for Contagions Vulnerability Robotic Infirmary Engineer. But we'll talk about her in a minute, man. <laughs> First, it's time to thank our pastry. Our pastries? <laughs> wow. Like, I'm thank our pastries. <laughs> Maybe I need a pastry. <laughs> And uh, let's go thank the patrons. Oh, okay. Big shout outs and major thank yous to Shanko, Apollo, Toasty, Wynn, Luke, Stone Mystios, and Bat Knight. Big hearts, major loves. Yay! Thank you, thank you, thank you. Also, a big announcement that I am really excited about. On Monday, September 5th, the day this episode gets released, the Robots Radio Network is getting together to do an all-day live stream to raise funds for the St. Jude Children's Hospital. Needless to say, helping out St. Jude kids is very close to my heart. Rex isn't a Jude kid, but knowing what those parents are going through, supporting them is a small thing I can do to return the favors that I've received at our hospital. So, several of the hosts from across the network are getting together to do collaborations, live streaming episode recordings, gameplays, and AMAs. But the part that I'm most excited about is that Teacup of the Dragon Age Lorecast, Assassin's Creed Lorecast, and Holocron Histories is going to be DMing a live D&D session. His players are as follows. 
SheCup, co-host of the Dragon Age and Assassin's Creed Lorecast. Go fig. Beastie of the Pod, Toasty of the Witcher Lorecast. Former Two Girls guest, Psych88 of the MCU Lorecast. Almighty Crit of the Fumbling Four and Legend of Zelda Lorecast. And I think like 27 other shows. The man can pontificate prolifically. Oh, and little me. We are going balls to the fucking walls and running a fifth edition at level 20. That's max level for you uninitiated. Trust me when I say shenanigans will abound and fuckery will commence. There are two ways that you can join in on the fun. I will be hosting the show, meaning that it will be streaming from the Two Girls One Ship Twitch account. Or you can watch the co-stream at twitch.tv slash robotsradio. And that is where you can donate to the charity. Each donation will affect the D&D game in some way. By spinning a wheel and finding out how you are going to interject randomness into this already chaotic game. So make sure to join us from 4pm to 7pm Eastern Standard Time. And of course, links will be up on all of our socials and in all of the discords. That sounds really fun. I have known nothing about D&D. But now you get to watch and learn and see how we all get to play together. I definitely will, because I wanted to play D&D for a long time. I tried once. That's a story for another day. <laughs> D&D's so much fun. Uh, but yes, let us get into Curie. I have been trapped so many years. I believe it's customary to thank you for your role in saving me. My entire life has been in this vault. I have analyzed and learned everything there is to know here. So now I must see the rest of the Commonwealth, consult with scientists, unearth more data to challenge my hypothesis. Carrie started out her life as a Miss Nanny robot, the female equivalent to the Mr. Handy robots commonly found throughout the wasteland. In this retro-futuristic world, gender roles were clearly super prominent in society. She was given sentience by Dr. Collins, a scientist in Vault 81, to help preserve the knowledge of, of the Vault scientists and to assist them in their medical research. As most Vault-funded companies go, it started off being sabotaged by the overseer, so only three of the planned science staff actually made it into the Vault before it was sealed. So, Dr. Collins, one of the three, managed to customize the Miss Nanny into Curie we meet in 2287. Mm-hmm. Also, apparently in the game, there's contradicting lore. Like, in the vault, on the terminals, you can see either that she was a Miss Nanny robot that he customized, or a Mr. Handy robot that he customized. And they're both in the game, and I guess they never decided which one it was. So, we're just going to go with Miss Nanny. Curie was modded and upgraded, whichever robot she was, like a release day copy of Cyberpunk 2077, with Dr. Collins giving her some personality flair based on some ladies in his pre-war life, because of course he did. She has a French accent. That actually has nothing to do with her namesake, Marie Curie. Despite living and working in France with her French husband, she was actually Polish. Miss Nanny robots are modeled after the stereotypical French maid, so that is why she has a French accent, supposedly. Collins uploaded the databanks he had on as many great scientists and philosophers as he could, 
including language knowledge of at least French and Japanese, in addition to English, but apparently left her with the default voice of a Miss Nanny robot. She self-actualizes over the course of her time working with the scientists and in the ensuing decades after they've all passed away. She's managed to develop a broad-spectrum cure for various mole rat pathogens 83 years before you discover her in Vault 81, where she has since been scanning the same four walls infinitely out of what I can only assume to be boredom. You can set her free from the lab by choosing any of the dialogue options, and she'll become your badass robot companion. She'll kick ass and give you free stim packs regularly. So she's just all around a solid partner in the wasteland. She actually has the most health out of any companion once you've helped her evolve into her final form by doing her personal quest, Emergent Behavior. As you travel with Curie, she will eventually insist on needing to find a way to capture the spark of invention. As a robot, she's lacking imagination, or the spark, as she calls it, and is limited in what kinds of experiments she can do or even think up as you wander the wasteland with her. So Curie goes all Pinocchio, I want to be a real boy, and asks you, the person who let her out of the vault, if you'll kindly help her out of her robot body too. If I am to advance my understanding of medicine in this strange world, I must embark on a great adventure. I must become human, or as close as I can. I must find a way to download all that I am into a human brain. You'd think this would be an impossible request, wouldn't you? Given that society consists of ragtag strongholds of average civilians and numerous violent groups roaming the waste looking for an easy victim... Making a robot into a person just seems crazy. But thanks to the Institute existing, though, it's actually really easy to do. You go to Good Neighbor and talk to Dr. Amari, the person in charge of the memory den, or the pods where people get uploaded into a computer. She thinks it would be quite doable to transfer Curie's personality and memories into the brain of a synth. Yes, yes, so convenient. If your sole survivor views synths as fellow intelligent beings, like I do, because I want them to remember that I was nice to them when the robot overlords come, okay? You can express shock and indignation at the thought of murdering a synth, just so Curie can find her spark, maybe. But not to worry. Dr. Amari knows someone that takes care of a synth whose brain no longer functions. Luckily for Curie, this synth is cute and of the female type, so it's a simple matter of saying bye-bye to G519 and hello to Curie. Or is it? I also want to say that the Curie body reminds me physically of Cassandra from Inquisition. So much. And because Cassandra kind of has like a vague Frenchy accent, they look so similar. Yeah. The hair. And I feel like Cassandra would totally wear those clothes. Yeah. And Cassandra is adorably naive and a hopeless romantic like Curie is too. Not quite as naive as Curie, but, you know, she gets all flustered and stuff when you flirt with her. It's so cute. This is kind of philosophical, but a central theme to follow up for is what exactly makes a person a person? Is Nick Valentine really Nick? Or is he a different being who just thinks he's Nick? Was Dance ever really a person? 
is the sole survivor even the same person they were before they were cryogenically frozen? With Curie, you get to see an instantaneous death and rebirth, supposedly. Did she really just copy-paste into a physical form with more capabilities, such as biological ones like breathing, but also cognitive ones like the spark of ingenuity? Perhaps Dr. Amari just transferred over Curry's memories, and G519 woke up just thinking she was Curie. Perhaps the original Curie is still inside the Miss Nanny robot that fell to the floor when the synth Curie took her first breath? This messes with my head. But it also reminds me why I love science fiction. Take a question that no one can really answer, an idea that can never be proven or disproven, and give your interpretation of the answer. How can anyone say that video games are only for kids? I know. It's like people saying The Simpsons is for kids because it's a cartoon. (laughs) Or like Family Guy or anything like that. But I thousand percent agree. I'm the type of person who really, really wants to know. But these kinds of questions just don't have one right answer. This is a particular question science fiction really likes to ask. And the answer is further muddied when the robot slash android slash AI in question is humanoid in appearance. It's very easy to personify a humanoid robot, or alien, or non-human in general. In Fallout 4, anyway, the answer to this question changes based on who's answering the question. The Institute would tell you that you shut down one robot and booted up another. The Brotherhood of Steel would tell you you've created an abomination. The Railroad would say you sacrificed G519 to give Curie a chance at a better life. And the Minutemen would tell you that another settlement needs your help. Shut up, Preston. We're busy contemplating consciousness and having a mini existential crisis. (laughs) No matter the truth of how or what exactly happened, Curie has been majorly upgraded. Her experiments can take on new meaning. The wasteland is full of new threats to meat sacks that a metal octopus would have never considered. And now she's just filled with all these pesky emotions. It's entertaining to think of her having to adjust to everything a human-like body undergoes as part of normal functioning. Becoming a synth is just so overwhelming. At first it was a struggle just to master basic functioning. How to brush the teeth, how to operate with only two hands, etc. But now I am full of inconsequential thoughts, feelings. How do you do everything with this whirlwind in the head? I hope some of these inconsequential feelings involve me. Yes. No. And see, now my head goes evermore. Spin, spin, spin. <laughs> Sorry about the, like, checkout sound. <laughs> or, like, the cashing out a cash register sound. It's just what happens when you raise affinity in Fallout 4. Because apparently it's transactional. Despite her advanced age compared to the other residents of the Commonwealth, Curie is adorably innocent and unaccustomed to the lawlessness now rampant in the wasteland. She was secluded and protected all this time in Vault 81, mostly alone, so it's no surprise she's naive to the way of things. For instance, when the sole survivor picks up items from dead bodies, She'll sometimes comment about needing to file a police report and to gather up the evidence of the crime. If you drop items, she may warn you that you might be fined for littering. She's capable of protecting herself and you, 
but the way that she looks at the world is refreshing and rare for 2287. Like the other romances, once you've raised the affinity up high enough, you can declare your love for each other and enter an entanglement. You are very dear to me, my close friend, and I hope I can return the many favors you have given me. What we have between us is deeper than friendship. My very first thought in all this excitement was I must tell you. It wouldn't feel real until I shared it with you. You know, you mean very much. Oh, I am so terrible at this. What were you going to say? I am afraid to say anything more. I feel a coward. It's okay. You mean a lot to me too. I dared not hope. When we are apart, I guess and second guess. I should be only thinking about this achievement. Instead, my thoughts, they linger on you. I love you, Kiri. And I love you. I'm not sure if Kiri can handle the sensory input overload that would be sex. There is a slow, slow, slow build up to physical intimacy that will take time. But then I'm sure you could have a lot of fun exploring and learning and trying out new things for science. Carrie seems sweet and kind, a knowledge seeker, and according to other people in the wastes, has a nice ass. I think many years to come will lead to many years of coming with Curie. That was bad. And I should go. <laughs> well, bang, okay. <laughs> As for the romance, this is probably the strongest one in Fallout 4. Curie makes it incredibly clear on her feelings for you. And she doesn't shy away from saying the L word. Neither do you if you choose the right dialogue options. As for the potential longevity of your relationship, Kiri will have this to say. Do not get over fond of danger, my love. I wish to journey with you for many years to come. Oh, so cute. She's also endlessly fun to travel around with. She fangirls over famous landmarks and impressive pieces of technology like Liberty Prime. She's wholly good, to the point that she even likes the Brotherhood of Steel even when she's a synth. This also has something to do with her core value of, for science. I don't know if her love for you is also an experiment for her, or perhaps it's just a bonus side effect, but either way, there's a major element of mentor-mentee to their romance. As you all know from our last patron chat, these two girls love the romance between Joker and Edie in Mass Effect, so of course we would also love the romance here. I still would much rather have been able to romance Nick Valentine. Never forgive. Never forget, Bethesda. I think that wraps it up for today. So if you like what you're hearing, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes or give us a rating on Spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me in our two girls one ship chat on the Robots Radio Discord channel and come give us a follow on all the social medias and on patreon.com slash two girls one ship. Links to those are in the description. I'm on the Robots Radio Discord as well and on our own two girls one ship Discord server where we nerd out on all our favorite CGI significant others. Be sure to check out our live streams on Twitch on Wednesdays and Fridays at 10.30pm Eastern Time, 7.30pm Pacific Time, or watch the YouTube video a few days after the stream. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays because you need at least one good thing on a Monday. 
So thanks for listening. And remember, beauty is in the eye of the controller. Welcome to Three Count Thoughts. Let me introduce the crew real quick. Hi, I'm Maverick Stone. I'm Romer. And I'm Jaxus. Join us as we talk all things wrestling. Each week, we'll take a topic from the wrestling world, knock it around a bit, and then go over the week in wrestling from a strictly fan perspective. We can be found on all major podcast catchers. We can also be found at Three Count Thoughts on both YouTube and Twitter. Or you can send us an email using 3CountThoughts at gmail.com. Okay, are you ready? Ring the bell.